Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss Uncaged Podcast. So today's show is, is going to be an interesting show, especially for our book club members. And today we have a guest, and I'm going to deem him the publishing boss. So Andrew, why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about who you are and what are we really going to be talking about today? There. Uh, yeah, my name is Andrew Dupy. Uh, I am the chief sales officer for Leaders Press. And we're a hybrid publisher, uh, which is kind of a new Wild West style of publishing that has come up uh, within the last few years, and especially facing into nonfiction, uh, although we do dabble a little in fiction and, and starting to move into that direction as well. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we're as one of the now, I think we're in the top five of hybrid publishers in the United States. Uh, we want to be more well-known. You know, the whole story, if you build it, they will come. Well, they don't come if you don't know about it. <laughs> so I wanted to tell a little bit about my story, uh, about how I found my way into it. I think there's some lessons to be learned about uh, being able to move and pivot, um, especially nowadays in the post-COVID world. Uh, pivoting is something that I've done professionally, and I think that a lot of others have done. And uh, being able to build something from the ground up that we have done here from a company that started out with three people and now that employs more than 30 and uh, works on every continent in the United States that's not frozen over and only has an airbase on it. Nice, nice, nice. So, I mean, it's funny, you're talking about your story and, you know, I love doing these episodes like this when I kind of like look at someone's history and kind of see where did, where did they start and kind of where did they, where they are right now. So just looking at your history, I mean, like obviously history being the key word, you were a yep. history educator, right? So yep. like, how does a history educator then, you know, become more of an executive inside of publishing? Like, like what's the story behind that? Well, there is an old saying in the history department, uh, when you're that, uh, the first thing you need to learn when you're working in history and getting a degree in history is would you like fries with that? <laughs> um, so you always have a backup is, is what they're really saying uh, when you do that. So it's, it's was from the very beginning, uh, you know, my, my education was history, but it was also in English and literature. So I was kind of moving a little in the whole publishing world, even from, you know, 30 years ago uh, at, at university. So that was something that, that was always in the back of my mind, but it's those things that when you're working your way through college and then when you come out and, and, and you're in a, a field that is as limited as sometimes as education can be, you take other jobs, you do other jobs. And that is actually what I had done while I was waiting for jobs to become available in which I was gonna work as an educator, I did sales and became very good at sales. And then what you'll find is that someone that is able to become good at such things like that starting out with things like simple retail, big box bookstore. I ran a bookstore for a while. And when you, when you go from that into education, uh, and I, I was in private education for quite a while, uh, the, some of those skills work on the administrative side. And when you're in private education, you are competing with other schools. You are not a public school when people just come to you. You want people to sign on. They want actual contracts to be made in which students are going to come and it's, it's going to be a pay organization. And when you're in a room full of academics, and I'm the one that has sales uh, experience, <laughs> then, then guess who was the one who uh, ended up being the principal and was sitting in the office and, and selling things. So that's actually where it came from. Moving from that, it was an organic 
uh, organic situation where I had skills that worked and could be actually used in administration and education. Very nice. Very nice. So, I mean, I mean, w- w- with that, I mean, I think, you know, sales is kind of a, a creative thinking man's game, right? I mean, you kind of mm-hmm. have to stay on your toes all the time, but more of a historian is more analytical, more, you know, mm-hmm. not streamlined, but I mean, it's more matter of fact. So would you say that you're pretty much half creative, half analytical? Like, like, how would you rate yourself? Uh, I, I would, I would say there's a mix of really in between. History can be analytical, but there's also a lot that goes into one of the things here's let me let me back up and just say one of the things that I work on when I'm talking to someone when I'm actually working with someone on putting together a book package or we're putting together something that's going to be good for them I'm looking at why they want to do this and when you're working in history when I used to teach history one of the things that I always said is you know it's always about who what when where and why and as long as you get the why part right that's really what I want you to learn because the rest of it is just framework it's the why that you want to get into about what real history is you know, the, the whole memorizing a date isn't really going to be very good for you if you don't know why that date isn't important. And it's the same thing in sales. When you're talking to someone, you want to know what their pain is. What, what, what problem are they trying to solve? Where is, why are they in front of you in the first place if they're coming to you and they're wanting a book? What can I solve for them that that book is going to get for them? So it, it, it becomes a very similar line of thinking is that I'm picking away at that to try and find what it is that I can do for them best and how we can help them unlock that potential of a book that they can then be used to become their replacement for their business card or, or just a legacy that they leave for their children. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the closing out that statement with legacy is something that I definitely believe in and it's one of the reasons why I created this podcast. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this next question I have for you, like, and I think I'm going to take that, I'm going to bring that back up a little bit later on. I'm going to hold that in my back pocket. But okay. if you could define yourself in, in three to five words, what would those three to five words be? Oh, my gosh. Um, that's actually a that's, a that's a difficult question, considering how many things I've done and how long I've been, <laughs> been doing it. Um, I think I'm a searcher. Hmm. I think that looking looking for answers is probably something that I would say. So, so one word I would say: searcher. Uh, I would say that I am trying to help. I'm a helper, uh, and that's that's different. That's that's actually something that a lot of people in sales don't get into, and I do. And I, I actually, you know, I'll, I'll plug for myself a little bit. My book coming out very soon, uh, "Don't Buy the Watch," is about that kind of philosophy uh, about actually being able to use sales to help people, because if you're able to do good business, then you get good business. So yeah, I would say that I'm a searcher. I would say that I'm a helper. Um, yeah, facilitator. Uh, that's also something is just, I, I try to find the fits hmm. with, with someone I'm talking to. And that's, it's, it's not about selling someone an item that's going to start devaluing when they go out the door. It's about giving them something that's going to end up being a value for them. That's going to increase when they go out the door. So I'm trying to facilitate them to find and unlock for themselves what they're looking for, something that they can find that's just going to uh, continue to build their, their business, their brand themselves, uh, or just help others however they want to do that. So I would think those would be the three things that I, I would describe myself as. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. So, I mean, just pulling back up that thing out of my back pocket about, about the legacy. So, I mean, obviously in, in book publication and, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong in anything that, that I'm about to say, but I would think the longevity of books are essentially 
creating more books. You know, having one book mm-hmm. is great, but creating a series of books would be 10 times better than having one book. So when you're dealing with authors and they're coming to you and you're trying to figure out their why, are you then kind of giving them the guidance to then expand that book series or you're just absolutely that one book okay absolutely in fact multiple authors that we have come to us whether it's for an anthology slot in which they're just writing it with a lot of other authors or they're, they're writing a short book maybe like a six thousand word book that's just a business card or even just a book that starts out just talking about themselves many of them already have ideas about ways in which they are going to expand that beginning into more material a lot of our authors are repeat authors they have have written other books with us that have built upon the first one uh, part of that is necessity. Uh, in today's world, you're talking nonfiction in, in the United States, which is our primary market, United States, Canada. Uh, nonfiction is hard to sell if you're going to be past 50,000 words. Uh, you're wanting to have everything in very bite-sized chunks. We want to read things quickly. This is something you want to read in a Kindle on an airplane. Uh, this is something you want to read very, very quickly while you're in a waiting room. It's not something that you want to spend a lot of time on. So. 50,000 words is hard to tell somebody's complete story. It's even harder when you're talking about someone that may want to write a very short book that's not 50, 60 words that's right to the point of maybe being something that's just a pure lead generator for. So absolutely, when we're talking to someone, it's as much about figuring out that one book and also it's like, well, how can we turn this into something that's going to continue to build for you? How is this going to change you from just being someone that I just wrote a book, here it is, and it's out there to someone that builds a brand. Uh, you know, names that come to mind of that people I've actually worked with personally are people like Joe Polish, Alex Mendoza, and Tony Robbins. They did those kind of things with building brands out of having books that expanded themselves. So a lot of our authors that come to us, that's their goal. Gotcha, gotcha. So you're talking to a brand guy. I mean, I, brand is, is is one of the things that my, my heart pumps brands, right? So I definitely mm-hmm. understand what you're speaking. And to your point of talking about like Tony, I mean, obviously taking a book and slicing that book up and then creating courses and creating add-on items from that one book, is, is, it seems like that that's the direction that you guys are going in. So yeah. um, based upon what you just said about the... Um, the 10,000 words or the 50,000 words. Mm-hmm. So let's say someone comes to you with, let's say 60,000 words, right? And this mm-hmm. book, then you can kind of easily see how this book could be segmented and chopped up maybe mm-hmm. in three or four books. Like how, how does that process go? I mean, like when do you kind of interject that statement? A lot of that is during their first conversations with me. Um, you know, with, when you're working with us, you come to, you come to us uh, after you've gone through our intake, uh, after a couple of calls, you're usually with me. And then we'll start talking about how we're going to actually deploy this thing. How, how are we going to strategize the best way in which your book is going to work and your book is going to reach the vast majority of people? So we're looking at the market. We're looking at what's out there that's already published that's similar because there's, there's no such thing as an original idea. The most original idea in the world, there's another book out there that's like it. Uh, or something else similar. So we're looking at the market. How did that do? What made those uh, others successful? But then we're also looking at what your story is and how can that segue very well into moving from one book to another. I'll plug one of our authors, Kristen Cripps, which is a great example of this. When she came to me, uh, very much she was interested in telling her story about a female entrepreneur. Sheepreneur, that's her brand. We branded it. And so she's talking about building her her uh, business from an entrepreneur that goes from a bartender to top 1% uh, retailer, uh, uh, realtor in Canada. Mm-hmm. 
And she wanted to tell her story about a female entrepreneur doing that, but she also wanted to do courses. She also wanted to do, how can I turn the sheepreneur into the sheepreneur's guide to real estate? So originally, before she came to us, that was all jumbled up in one book. It was, it was thousands of words. It was notes written on napkins. It was all kind of things that she just couldn't put together. When I talked to her, it's like, well, Kristen's two books at least. And I know exactly where the breakoff point is because I could look at that and I could say, people are going to want to know your story. They want to get to know you. They want to connect to you. And once they do that, then they're absolutely, they're in your mind, you're the sheepreneur. You're the one that they want to come to if they're going to, with in terms of reality, especially, uh, and how to actually do, do real estate and property, they want, you're the expert. So then you're going to do your courses. So establish yourself, hmm. tell your story, get people to know who you are and relate to you. Then let's move into the nitty gritty. Uh, and so the first is the hooks. The second is the meat. And that, that's for her that work. Uh, other authors will be different, but you know, that was a great uh, success for her. So that's a, that's a pretty good segue. Cause I mean, obviously, you know, in, in marketing and in general, if you're dealing with someone that's a particular A-type personality, then you kind of have this hurdle, especially someone that's writing content and they've been writing this content for a long period of time and mm -hmm. that's kind of like their baby. And again, you're the professional, so you're educating them on that space and you're giving them the advice, but then you hit this wall. So my mm -hmm. question is, what's the worst, without naming names, mm -hmm. example of someone that you've dealt with that they, they just didn't want to let go of their baby. They didn't want to change or modify or edit or cut or splice up that book. They wanted the book as they brought it to you. A lot of them are like that. <laughs> it, it's hard, especially when someone's been working on something for a long time. I don't think he'll mind me saying this. I wouldn't call him worse. I say he's a fantastic uh, author that worked with us. But one that was extremely difficult uh, because of just how long and how much it meant to him was a gentleman by the name of Dennis Andrews. And his book, which, which was a great success, was Too Blue. It was a story of his time at IBM um, early on in in the uh, 1980s and the development of ps2 and dennis was right there on the ground and there's not many stories that were told about people that were right there in the labs with the ceo doing the work to actually make the personal computer the ibm personal computer something that was ubiquitous in the home mm -hmm. and uh, it was so dear to him that story and he had been trying to publish that book for more than 10 years and when I spoke to him, it, it, there was just a lot of material he didn't want to let go. He, he, it, and that was why it hadn't been published. And, and that was one of the things that I was able to tell him. It's like, well, Dennis, 10 years of work uh, is you, you've put in with this, but it's not done. And nobody's reading it. And so, you know, give us the chance to actually be able to do for you what you have been able to do. And you've already spent a fortune doing it on writing coaches, on all kinds. Of, you've already invested so much you know well, let's actually invest a little bit more and let's get it done let's get it finished and i think that that was a very comforting situation for him uh when he had that we had other authors very similar that just had stories that were so dear to them they, they didn't want to they didn't want to see the baby walk out the door you know, very much an empty nest syndrome and i when i tell them that i tell them it's never going to be perfect it's not ever going to be perfect it's not going to ever be the 100 what it is in your mind but what it can be is still great and it can still be something that's successful for you i, I won't mention uh one of the authors but one was he just was so dear for it and his book was so successful it was a usa today wall street journal bestseller it it it, it was it has done wonderful things for him but he was so <laughs> so tied to it it's just you have to understand that you have to break that break out and you have to let it go sometimes um and even if you're writing your 
yourself, that's still going to happen. You're still going to go in the editing phase. You're still, even with traditional publishing models, you're, you're going to be sharing rights in that situation in which you're going to lose something. It's like the director that sees his movie end up in the editing room. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to let it go one day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I think one of the biggest things that you said that I've always said to anyone that I've actually consulted in, in, in authorship is that it's never going to be perfect. And then you're going to mm-hmm. have to like let go of that. If you don't let go of it, then it's never going to get off the press. It's never going to go to the real mm-hmm. world. It's always going to be in your mind and constantly making revisions without getting any successes or any results from the book yep. that, that you're producing. So I definitely appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Uh, another thing that, that you brought up was, you know, number one, top sellers. Now, this is a thing like a topic with like any author, like, like some authors are like really cold. They're green. They come into the, into the environment. I want to be a number one New York times top seller. I want to be in USA today. I want to be in Amazon and they have no clue or no idea what really goes on behind the scenes to kind of make that happen. So let's, let's talk about that. I mean, let's start on like the low hanging fruit, like Amazon. Like, I mean, obviously you guys, I think any book that you would publish would be a number one top seller starting from Amazon. Is that not a true statement? Yeah, that's true statement. We, we've had 100% success with it. There's, there's never been a book we released that hasn't been a bestseller on Amazon. And it, it's no secret that the Amazon lists are not difficult to get onto. If you understand what you're doing, if you know publishing, you know how to, to, to work categories, uh, that is something that's, that's very simple to do. Now, that's why we're here, is to be able to use our expertise to accomplish that. So a lot of authors come to us not knowing how to do that or not having the time to do it. I mean, you'll, they'll, they want a staff that can devote themselves to putting that on the list. So Amazon, which is a list that also updates hourly. Um, and, and that's, so you can be a bestseller and be on it for an hour. And that is not our model because we have had uh, Amazon bestsellers that have stayed in large categories. Like for example, Sayuda's book, uh, Next Level Cybersecurity. It was number one in network security for a year and a half. And that was a huge category. And that was on Amazon. So there can be very good value if you're on there for a while. Um, but it's not as difficult, no, as the other lists. If you know what you're doing, if you know how to work the system and gain and, and, and work the algorithms. Yeah. Nice, nice. So I mean, you're talking about gaming the system, you talk about algorithms and, and, and mm-hmm. going based upon Amazon. If you understand the categories, you understand the keywords, you understand what's the search yeah. results for that particular category, you understand like the where the books are ranked, then you can become a number one top seller. So that's that monster. Yeah. So now if you're walk, working more so in the New York Times space or in the USA Today space, it's similar algorithms, but obviously I think the strategy would be a little bit different. I mean, you were talking about that a little bit. Yeah, it's very different. Well, with, with the New York Times, we don't even really address it very much because the New York Times list, and a lot of people don't know this, is an editorial list, purely editorial list. So it is not an aggregate of sales. Uh, the, the New York Times editorial staff votes on the list, and the way that you get on the New York Times list is to get noticed. Uh, many say that the way you get on the New York Times list is to publish from one of the old school New York publishing houses. And that that really is true. That actually is a major bonus for you to get on that list. Yeah. But when you're talking about someone that's coming to me as an author and say, I have a gold New York Times bestseller list, I'm like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I will never sugarcoat it and guarantee that. It may happen uh, if you are well known enough to get their attention or if the book becomes successful enough to get their attention. But that's not what we concentrate on. So then you ask about the, the, the more prestigious lists that aren't the New York Times lists that are aggregates of sales. And that becomes Wall Street Journal and USA Today. And Wall Street Journal and USA Today do have very specific rules about how to reach uh, bestseller status on them. It's not hard to research. Uh, an hour of research on Google will tell you that all you have to do is sell 6,000 books in the first week. And it has to be across multiple platforms. 
Now, that's easier said than done. Uh, when you're talking about the United States, nonfiction books average sales of 250 copies a year, mm-hmm. and you're talking about getting 6,000 in a week, that's a hump that you're going to have to get over. That's why you then talk to someone like Leaders Press and talk to someone like us when you say, I have that goal. It is achievable. And it is achievable primarily through strategies towards how you're going to market it, mm-hmm. how you're going to market it to sell in multiple uh, across multiple platforms. With with us, we partner with Simon and Schuster, so that's also with getting you into uh, bookstores, which which helps with that immensely. But then it's also uh, how you're going to build those pre-orders, and that's really kind of the secret to to how it's done. You want to make sure that you have momentum heading into the launch week, and which those pre-orders are then unlock into very large numbers of sales that come in and get you on the list. And we've had books that have been as high. I uh, believe Change the Story, Change the World, Morris David Esco's book was number one on uh, Wall Street Journal uh, the, the week that it released, which was fantastic. I mean, it just, just did fantastically well. So we've been able to accomplish that. Um, it's, it's something that we can do. It's something that a lot of other hybrid publishers don't do, but it, we do have a very good success rate with doing it. Hmm. I think that that's very, very interesting. And I could definitely see how, like, how you have the historian background. Cause I mean, like you're, you're stating these things almost like you're reciting it from like a mm-hmm. timeline, like you can kind of see it in your mind. So that kind of brings me to like his, his your history a little bit deeper, right? Like mm-hmm. what kind of kid were you? Were you the kid that had the almanac reading at all time or were you more the comic book kind of kid? Which one? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I guess my, I guess my, my, my foot was in both worlds. I was the kid that was going to the library and buying written and uh, checking out all kinds of the books on history. And then as soon as I was done with those, it was time to put the star Wars tape in. <laughs> um, that was really, that was really how I, I came up with it. I think that, that in, in many ways, you know, you talk about that a, a little bit of the nerd culture that comes in this now, it's not a bad word anymore. When I was growing up, it was, um, but now it's become something in which we actually understand that there's, there's no negative connotation to it. But when you're doing that, the, the ideas of fandom can be moved into areas in which you're like history mm-hmm. or even like publishing. The, the, what I was trained in, I tell people when they ask me, well, what did you do to get a degree in history? You just learned a bunch of dates? It's like, no, I learned how to research. A history, degree in history is a degree in research. And I learned how to properly research things. I learned how to have a skeptical mind, how to engage in skeptical inquiry and how to be able to look at something and ask questions about why did this happen and then research both sides, all sides, original writings, everything you have until you come up with a conclusion of that answer. You get the same thing that then can move over into other disciplines. It is a, and that becomes the same with like, if you like comic books, uh, if you like science fiction movies, if you like fantasy films, if you like Lord of the Rings, I mean, there are people that are, extremely obsessed with those that, that know everything, that know all of the details. I mean, I'm, I'm that way with some of my fandom like Star Wars. I can name you everything possible about it because I can research it the same way that I research uh, my particular expertise was Russian history and, and specifics about that. So yeah, and I think that the two disciplines have, or the two ideas have a lot of crossover, which is how I was able to pivot, um, which you know, talked a little bit about earlier. When, when I decided that I was going to pivot careers towards education, administration education, which I'd been in, you know, teaching and then uh, full-on administration all the way up to, to a principal position to moving to uh, 
sales and becoming an executive in sales, that was all about research. I knew a little about publishing, but then I knew a lot <laughs> and it didn't take me long to get there. I think it's interesting. You're talking about pivoting. So, I mean, like, you know, the perception of an overnight success, it's, it's sometimes for some people, it becomes a reality and it becomes fuel for them to, to want to become like that person. Mm -hmm. So listen to you speak. I mean, obviously you went from one discipline to another discipline. How long did that transition take for it to happen? With me, it wasn't that long um, because there was cross connection with the idea of history, English publishing. I mean, I had been published before uh, when I, in history. Uh, I, I had articles at, uh, in, published in the Journal Historian. Um, so I knew kind of what that world looked like. And I had been connected enough with academia, with higher level academia that I knew what the publishing system looked like. So for me, it wasn't as difficult to learn the, the, to learn the crossover, uh, but it still takes time. I mean, it's a lot of people ask me, well, you know, you, you get this job, you work from home, you do this. I mean, how can I do that? How can I do it overnight is what many people ask, especially when the, the 2020 occurred. It's like, well, you can't. Um, Sometimes you'll get lucky and you'll have something that pivots really quickly. With me, it took me about a year. I mean, if you want to really get a, a to, to become someone that was just learning sales and, and gaining the confidence in it to someone who you know, is able to talk to five or six, uh, nine, 10 figure CEOs a day and without any problem and sell them uh, books. And it took about a year in that situation, but for others, it might take longer. And the it sounds cliche, but the answer to that is you just got to put the work in. Uh -huh. You have to learn it. You there's there's learning, researching what you're doing and learning everything about it and, and just spending your time. You might spend four or five hours a day doing just absolute direct work in, in front of your uh, clients or in front of whatever you're doing. But then you're going to put at least that amount of time into learning everything else when you're done with that. So or more. And that, I think, is the key to being able to move and pivot into that direction. I think anybody can learn anything if they are open minded enough and, and assert themselves. I mean, as a former educator, I would say that. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Nice. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to you. And, and again, I, like I'm really I'm, I'm putting everything you're saying in pictures in my mind. And when I, and I see you as a kid and I'm trying to like imagine like what your parents were like. Right. And what I see, and again, you're going to tell us, right. But what I see <laughs> yeah. is that one parent probably was an educator of higher, higher education. And the other parent probably was into some business or some kind of strategy or some kind of entrepreneur. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you are, you are half right. My dad was a heck of a salesperson and he yeah. was, you know, he ran, he ran a, he ran a couple of companies that were his own. Um, you know, at the end of his, uh, at the end of his career before he retired, yeah, he was the head of sales for, uh, a major, uh, uh, wholesale distribution, food wholesale distribution company, um, 11th largest in the United States. So I learned all of my, uh, sales stuff from him. I mean, that was, it. I, I grew, I grew up watching him just work his magic, uh, with people and, and, and learning that a lot of sales is just about being able to connect with who's across from the table from you. And that a lot of it is just, again, it's finding their pain and finding out the ways in which you can come up with the absolute best solution for it. And, and just being able to connect with them in the meantime, you, you've got to have some charisma. You have to be able to just look them in the eye and be able to have a conversation with them. Uh, and so that was it. Yeah, absolutely. My, my father was a very accomplished businessman. My uh, mother would have been the educator. She was not. She, she basically uh, was, was the, this was the 80s, so the homemaker was still a thing, <laughs> and that was what she she did for most of that. But yeah, she was absolutely the 100% the 
excuse me, the liberal arts uh, very much. The the she was more English and, and literature, which uh, rubbed off on me. But yeah, one hundred percent, she encouraged that. And of course, my my pursuits that would be called nerdy. Yeah, she was absolutely a gigantic science fiction fan. I I was in I was in Star Wars in, in nineteen seventy seven. I was the I was the kid that was making noise, the little baby that nobody wants there. Um, so yes, they absolutely were very much contributed to the sauce that that made uh, me. Yeah, I think it's funny that, that you know you brought up that keyword nerd a couple of different times and this like yeah. thinking back historically, like in the eighties, Revenge of the Nerd was kind of like, what's going on and why are these nerds all that what's going on with these people? And then it turns out that nerds are like hella sexy and they're running the world yep. today. The outcome <laughs> of that movie became a reality in the real world. So um going back to like your like your family life, so how do you currently juggle like your work life with your family environment? Um well I actually my work, I do not let my work life get in the way of any interactions with my family. I think that my work life is is very much in, in its own space, but you know, I think it is important to take time to play. I think that very much that you want to interact with friends and family. I mean, unfortunately, most of my family is very limited now. Uh, my parents passed away um, at an unfortunately early age for both of them. Um, and, you know, I, I, but, uh, I still have a very large circle of friends, uh, marriage. So those things are things that I want to devote a lot of time to mm. and be able to, to have a robust time. And, and yeah, I think play is really important. I know that some people are in the idea of, I will, I will stop working when I'm dead. You know, there's that concept that I'll rest when I'm dead is a, is a concept that I've heard. I don't know if that is necessarily the best way. Um, I think that that can lead very much to burnout. And I think if you're damaging your family on the side of that, that's going to end up damaging you. So I will absolutely take my time to, to watch the, the, the latest Marvel film, or I will take my time to, to engage in, in flight simming, which is something I've been doing since I was a kid in the nineties. I just, I love it uh, very much. So I, I will take my time to, to invest in those things. And I don't think that there should be a stigma attached to it as much as there is i mean you'll look at at big companies that, that have very high uh, employee satisfaction rates and have extremely high productivity and what you find over and over again it's the ones that encourage their employees and even encourage their bosses of the employees and the bosses at the top to relax to have a more relaxed environment and to have a comfortable environment i think that we encourage that here at leaders press i think that's one of the things that our company has that's a little different from others and that we don't engage with the full freelance model. Our people are all in-house. They're people that have worked with us for a long time. We like to encourage the whole family concept. Um, and we want our employees to have time to, to do more than just devote, uh, you know, the, the old Steve Jobs idea, 90 hours a week and loving it. You know, they weren't loving it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you talked about a lot of different things like historically wise right and you talked about, about your business structure so i think like in a routine basis you're talking about uptown uptown and then downtown or uptime and downtime right mm -hmm. so what does your morning routines look like again like you have your your bulk of time during the day and you're talking about you have downtime so what is your morning regimen oh yeah no my my morning routine is to immediately get up and hit my linkedin and hit my uh my email and start putting out fires <laughs> that is the very first thing that i do so yeah you listen, the, the the beginning is catching up seeing what's actually occurred and the, the time between i when i have signed off and when i'm signing on 
so that I make sure I have the day in front of me. Yeah, it's, then it's the calendar. I mean, everything, of course, is driven by the calendar nowadays, especially in Zoom meetings. I mean, you were on my calendar today. I just got out of a meeting with that. So it's about getting your meetings, getting your calls, knowing what's in front of you. I always take time during my day for research. Um, sometimes during my downtime, I'm, I'm multitasking. I mean, I might be having lunch while I'm doing research on an author, that, a potential author that I'm going to talk to later in the day. Well, I have a YouTube video that I might go to when I just need a little bit of time to turn my head off. Um, so, you know, with in the luxury of, of being able to do the whole remote workforce, work from home situation, which, you know, Leaders Press has been work from home since before the pandemic. It's one of the reasons why 2020 was our best year at that time. We surpassed that in uh, 2021. But yeah, we uh, being able to make your own schedule during the day and you know it's, it's a traditional nine to five schedule for me because my none of my potential clients will ever work past five <laughs> or they don't want to if they, if they do um is a situation uh, of just being able to do time management so it, it'll be a little bit on a little bit off the calls will be on and then afterwards is take a few minutes to relax and for me i find research relaxing so you know, that that's a bonus for me one of those things if you love what you're doing when you work you never work a day in your life so when i'm researching somebody and i'm learning about who i'm about to talk to and trying to find out what's the best way for me to be able to serve that person's needs you know that that for me is is like candy <laughs> i enjoy doing that because i can i can immediately formulate it's like wow this 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 guy's got a business that can so benefit from what we do for them I, i'm i'm really excited to share with them the ideas that i have so yeah that that is for me relaxing very nice so i mean going into that right i mean you're a researcher by trade i mean that's mm -hmm. everything that we're talking about that, that that's your passion right yes. so on your journey from transitioning from a historian to a sales executive for a publication, what books did you read that helped you to get to where you are currently? Oh my, um, there were so many. Uh, it's hard to. The, I'm, I'm going to plug one of our one of our authors actually because I want to say one of the ones that actually helped really uh, put in my mind some of what I had known prior that that I then was able to distill down, and that's Tom Fedro's uh, Next Level Selling. I really liked his idea of PAM, pain authority management, uh, or, or pain authority. Uh, uh, this is getting getting to the idea basically of, of what somebody needs hmm. and being able to answer those questions. It was a really really simple method of sales that you know he does for for multi million high dollar high level sales. Um, that book really worked out really well for me to learn. Uh, history books, I mean, there's there's all kinds of books that you read in history. I mean, everybody, the cliche is always saying Sun Tzu's Art of War, and it is. It's actually completely applicable to just about anything that you do in business. Uh, and, and, and actually, I've watched, there's also films, and there's stuff that I've watched and read that I consider cautionary. Um, like uh, Glengarry Glenn Ross, anyone that's ever sold anything has probably watched that film. And I always tell everybody that works for me in my department, or I even tell the uh, anyone that I work directly for, I'm like, I want you to understand, you should probably watch that movie at one point or another and understand that that movie is a cautionary tale, not an instruction manual. <laughs> that, is, that is not the way to run a sales force, and that is not the way to inspire your people to perform and to succeed. And that's very much something that I use as a cornerstone for me. You know, I'll, I'll watch that as a salesperson probably once a year, just to 
just, just to remind myself of, of some of the, the things in that. And, and it really is, interestingly enough, something that a lot of people do use as an instruction manual, uh, whether it be for to motivate a sales force or whether themselves to try and, and push themselves, motivate themselves in the concept of sales that is more, you know, desperation sales. And I, I have to get this sale or else I'm or else I'm out. And it's like the what have you done for me lately ism that can creep into uh, a sales force. So absolutely that's something that inspires me just in a not a, a, the traditional way that you might think. So my next question is going off of the theme of the books, right? And I think earlier on, you alluded to your book and the analogy of a watch. So like, just talk about like, you know, mm -hmm. obviously you're, you're a publisher. So is this going to be your first book? Like number 20? My first, book? yeah, it's my first book. Yeah, <laughs> it's my, my first book that is, and I mean, I, I, as I say, I published academically before uh, that really doesn't count um, in, in for what we're doing here. But yeah, so Don't Buy the Watch is my methodology of sales. It's exactly it's what I've built over time. And my methodology is, and I've come from situations where I have, you know, as a, as a kid working his way through college, I worked at Circuit City and sold computers and I was the best guy on the floor. They called me Big Dog. I mean, I was the guy that go out there and you'd leave with a computer, you'd leave with a warranty, you'd leave with the, the service packages. All, all of it was on there at the end of the day. I didn't enjoy that. Um, and in fact, that's that tainted me a little bit towards continuing in sales because I knew that many of those things were not necessarily things that, that the customer needed. Mm. Uh, and I didn't like that kind of, of sales because I think that there was a better way to go about it. Um, and that, that could trickle down from the executive corporate, which of course I was just a, at that point, just an employee on the floor. So, you know, my, my opinion didn't matter of how there would be better options. And as I thought, as I was selling these things that I didn't think they needed, well, why aren't we a corporate sitting in a boardroom and thinking about what do they need? What are things that actually would provide value for our customer that they can buy that's an add-on rather than, you know, them sending them to five minutes of, somebody tweaking a, a feature and uninstalling something and handing the computer and say, oh, it's now 10% faster. And so 90 bucks for that. And, you know, I thought about also the concept of, of sales in which, you know, you're, you're talking about you buy something because I sell now at a premium price point. It's premium price point package. So we're not, it, it's just going to be, you know, between the 20 to 100,000 plus range when you're talking to me about what you're going to walk out the door with. And you can get that value from something like ours, which is something where you're going to be building your brand, building yourself, helping your company, having a marketing tool, having a legacy tool, a lot of things you can do with a book or a watch. I mean, you go and you buy a Rolex for $35,000, you walk, the minute you take it out of the case, it's already lost value. You put it on your wrist, it's already lost value. And you walk out the door, it loses value. I mean, you buy an Aston Martin, beautiful piece of machinery. 300,000 plus dollars. The, the minute you turn the key, it's now 200,000. <laughs> the minute it's off the lot. You know, the, these things, these things don't really give anything for you. They're fun. They're nice. But what I like to sell and what I think is, is trying to find something that is of value. And I think I am the best salesperson when I am moving in that direction. And when that is what I'm, I'm trying to do, because I can do the other. I know that I can, but it's also about my own personal job satisfaction. It's also about, you know, when I'm done at night, is, is, is it something where I want to immediately make myself a cocktail to, to forget the day and, and just kind of relax? Or if I feel fine and better, that I don't have to do something like that. Um, 
and I, I that's so that's the the gist of the book uh, and the direction it is and then of course it leads into you know where i am now with leaders press and i think that hybrid publishing in general and us in particular is a very good way in which that kind of sales happens that's the kind of thing that we're doing is trying to reach people with these uh, something that is a real value for someone that they can build off of. And, the, and with us, you're less buying a product than you're buying a partnership because we'll stay with you. Our, your, your best interests are our best interests. Uh, if your book doesn't sell well, that's not good for us. <laughs> so we want you to succeed at, at every single step. And you can't say that when, when you buy a Rolex because once that salesperson that sold you that Rolex, once you're out the door, then it's just the next person in line. I think it's definitely interesting. I mean, like you're, you're, I think you brought up your price point, right? So hmm. ideally, that particular price point has to be structured to a particular individual. So who is your hmm. ideal avatar that is not only willing, but also sees the value add at that price point? Yeah, the, the vast majority of people that will come to us and knock on our door are going to be CEOs and entrepreneurs. Uh, it's going to be someone that has started the company, founded the company, uh, put it together, and needs to help brand that company, needs to basically create something that uh, is going to be either a funnel for to, to actually bring leads in, and in one of the words of our authors, to put whales in seats, uh -huh. to provide branding, to replace your business card. Another one of our authors coined that phrase. I'm stealing it from Chris. Um, but yeah, to replace your business card, to create funnel, or to leak a legacy. Um, yeah, Pochung, co-founder of DHL. I mean, he just wanted to tell the story of, of how he did his part uh, when Larry Elbaum uh, did the U.S. part in DHL and how he built the Southeast Asian branch. And those those are the kind of people that will come to us and we'll talk to. Uh, the vast majority of those that we talk to and are actually doing books with us are going to be moving in that kind of coaching consulting space. Um, because when you're in coaching consulting, it's not a luxury to have a book you actually need. It is something you must have to, to be able to point to someone that's coming to you, that's buying courses from you, that's coming and listening to you speak. You've got to have something that's your cornerstone, that's your business Bible, that is like, you must go to this to, to, to get the, to distill everything out. And that can become your absolute cornerstone of your brand. And as I said, I mentioned names like Joe Polish uh, and Tony Robbins and Dan Cashel. Those guys all did those kind of things too. Um, to start with that and then moving into coaching and high level business coaching. Um, so that is, those are the majority of our, uh, of our clients would be CEOs and entrepreneurs, business people. Interesting. So, I mean, obviously you're, you're a sci-fi buff as well. So the yeah. next question is kind of based on what you're saying and future tense, right? I mean, with the whole metaverse and you got NFTs and all this new stuff that's yeah. been around forever, where do you see the publication industry 20 years from now with the onset new morning of metaverse? I think it's going to be highly digitized. I think the digitization is already there. Uh, we still believe in brick and mortar because there's still the satisfaction of going into a bookstore and seeing your book on the shelf mm -hmm. and being able to organize things like book signings with a, it, that's actually at a location like that. Um, so there is value in that. But yeah, I, I definitely, I didn't believe in the metaverse until I got a Valve Index. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. I, I there, there's something I was, I was convinced of at the minute that I put that on my head because until, until you actually take that step and you're, you're sitting there saying, oh, that can't be that interesting. And then you put it on and then five minutes later, it's like, okay, my world's different now. Uh, 
because I know that is going to just continue to become more advanced. I know that right now that's actually the kind of baby's second step, not really first step. I would, would go back to like the rift and, and then of course the stuff in the nineties that didn't work, but you know, you, you, this, I can see where that, that kind of uh, presentation of media constant, uh, consuming media is going to become extremely popular and in just social media and interconnectivity. Um, I think they're in the heading in the right step, anyone that's trying to get into that field. Now, what is that going to do to books? Um, books have already gone to tablets. I don't know if it's necessarily going to translate heavily into VR. I know that storytelling is. Mm -hmm. And I, I really feel that in the future, what you're going to definitely be having is I think fiction storytelling fiction and especially interactive fiction you know as we're looking right now gaming has become movies now i mean you're sitting there there's a halo television series and some people are asking well why do we need that it was already a game it was already a movie same with mass effect so the you know, these are nerdy properties but yeah mass effect was already a movie it was a better movie as a game because you're interacting with it and vr is going to take that next step uh, I, I believe very firmly because i can already see how real it can be now in 10 or 15 years from now, it's going to be even more. So I think fiction books are going to heavily move into that direction. I can see ways in which people are going to begin to exploit that. Audiobooks are already popular. Are they going to have some kind of creative, uh, interactive uh, VR experience that you can have with books? I wouldn't be terribly surprised by it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that it's definitely going to be the next frontier of where we move on and how we consume a lot of our entertainment and a lot of our media. Yeah, I, mean, I definitely agree with you. I think like the unsung hero when it comes to books will probably be romance novels. Will probably be the first thing that would probably jump in. That yeah, completely change everything, right? I, I I agree with you. I tell you that a lot of my I, when I talk to someone, they when they begin to talk about well making money off of books, and I say, well, I tell you, if you really want a hundred percent, want to make money off of royalties, write a romance novel. <laughs> Imagine uh, romance in VR. It's going to be a whole another. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 I think that's, that's definitely going to be something that's, that's going to become very extremely popular. I mean, it already is. There are already interactive games, storytelling games, I believe, uh, Telltale, they did the series of, with, uh, with things like Werewolf Walking Dead, where you were taking that media and were beginning to do kind of interactive novels, uh, storytelling in, in that direction. I can see that translating to VR very very quickly i mean they kind of already did that um there was one uh, game vader immortal which uh i've been playing a little bit which is more a storytelling experience than it is an actual like game yeah. and it's very immersive uh very interesting start i recommend to any star wars fans it's got a vr headset very uh very good but yeah it, it's that's something that connects with you. Alien Isolation, another one, great game that uh, is enhanced by the VR experience. I, I'm, I'm still not, I still haven't escaped the locker. I'm still hiding. <laughs> so this is going to like final words of wisdom. I mean, if, if an entrepreneur, like your ideal avatar is listening right now and you can, can communicate to them and right now they're unpublished, they have no books, like what's the words of insight would you give to them? Uh, I think that what I want them to do is imagine themselves with one and without one. I, I think because right now, if you don't have a book, if you've never had a book, you're just going to continue to do the same thing that you've always done. And so nothing's going to change is that, that uh, the whole story of, you know, if you don't make it a, a change, nothing's going to change. Are you completely happy with where you are? Are you completely happy with, with the idea 
of not having it out there and to just think about the kind of things that a book unlocks when you get it out. Uh, it unlocks doors to consultancy. It unlocks doors to, to new streams of revenue that you hadn't found. Any business person is looking for new streams of revenue. I think that if you think about what a book can do for you, you're getting more doors open for you that would not otherwise be there. Um, so I, I think that sometimes a book might be leaving their comfort zone, but then that's why we exist because we do a lot of packages that involve ghostwriting, that involve helping someone uh, strategize the book, put it together. And it's becoming easier right now to get a book put together and done than it ever has before. Uh, I believe Entrepreneur Magazine did an article a couple of years ago that said in nonfiction by next year, hybrid publishing will outstrip traditional publishing in nonfiction. Uh, just because of how much how easier it is becoming for someone that has that material in them to do it. And I think the main word of wisdom I would have for them is that don't be afraid of your idea. Huh. Don't think I, I, one of the most obvious, one of the most regular uh, uh, objections that I have is, well, you know, everybody, I, I'm just going to write something anybody else has written. My story is not different. My story is not unique. That's completely untrue. You're, don't be afraid of your idea. Everybody is a completely unique and different story. My story is different than anybody else's. I mean, I, I told you about being a nerd, being yet also doing history, doing all, these, these things are mine. They're not anyone else's. Um, I can be the only person that can write my book. And to anyone that's listening, you're the only person that can write your book. And whether it may be that you're writing the 50th book on cloud computing and digital transformation, because I know that's one of our most popular topics right now, digital transformation. Um, yeah, you're, it's the only book about digital transformation that you can write. <laughs> so don't be afraid of it. Uh, somebody's going to find value in that, that you didn't even think it was. And that drove me as a teacher too, that no matter how many students, if I could reach one kid and, and, and change their lives for the better, then that was beneficial to me. And that was, that was a success. And I reached a lot more than one. So definitely don't consider that a bit of wasted time in my career. So, I mean, with that, I mean, how does someone get in contact with you or get in contact? With you? Uh, yeah, we're actually very easy to find. We got we have the domain leaderspress.com. Uh, you can head there right now. You can actually find uh, a library that has some of our authors. We have a few selections of our books on there. And there's a connection to uh, go to Outsource Your Book, which is a book that we have written. You can get it for free and take a look at it, Outsource Your Book. We'll tell you a little bit more about how our methodology works, about how we did things. Um, and there's an opt-in that you can do that will take you to a quiz. If you're interested in actually working directly with us, uh, take the quiz. If we're a good fit for each other, you'll be talking to uh, one of the people in my department. And then if we are a good fit, you'll be talking to me. <laughs> and so absolutely, leaderspress.com is, is where you need to go. Nice, nice. So this leads us to the bonus round. So I got a couple of bonus questions that, that okay. I've been, you know, sitting on. So like my first question right off bat, right? Again, you're a Star mm -hmm. Wars fan and then we're yep. going to nerd them right now, right? So sure. if you can be one Star Wars character, who would it be and why? Oh my gosh. If I could be one Star Wars character, that is an Interesting question. Um, I would be Wedge Antilles because I survive all the films. <laughs> and I still get to be a hero and don't get all the terrible baggage that comes along with it. <laughs> because that guy, that guy kind of that guy kind of won won the whole story. He managed to get all the way, he even had a, had a little few second cameo at the end. And he was a hot 
ace fighter pilot, and that is what I like. I like to be the hotshot fighter pilot. He's a he's a mix of uh, of Maverick and 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 space hero. So yeah, I, he's an unsung hero of Star Wars. Always like which. So definitely going for the uh, going for the fighter pilot trip on that. Nice, nice. All right. So another question: um, If you could spend twenty four hours with anyone, dead or alive, uninterrupted for those twenty four hours, who would it be, and why? Yeah. You, you asked a historian that question. That is probably one of the most extremely difficult questions that any historian can have. There's so many uh, that I would absolutely love to spend time with. I mean, from American history, from recent history, I would probably say that uh, recent-ish history, I, and this is, oh my gosh, somebody really come, I would probably spend time with somebody like Peter Roosevelt uh, just because of the, just the sheer fascinating breadth of it and width of his life just all the things that he did i don't think it, very few people have ever lived as much as he did um you know going from a police commissioner uh to uh, a president to a, sol- a soldier to president to uh, secretary of the navy to just all the things that that, that, that he did to adventure down the amazon river just um, that we, very few of us would live have in our entire lives live even what he would do in just one or two years and i just would like to pick his brain on on just some of those things i think he would be someone i would absolutely love to spend time with but i mean there's others that are so close (laughs) that come in you know that goes all the way back even to antiquity uh that i would absolutely love to meet but uh i'll I'll say that one for for just alacrity's sake Got it. Got it. So going to the last bonus question, like what tools or software did you use on a day-to-day basis that you would not be able to do what you're doing without having access to that platform? At 100% Zoom. Zoom is, I mean, we wouldn't function without it. And we were early adopter on that one too. I mean, nobody even knew what Zoom was when we were using it. It's like, why are you using Zoom? It's actually a really good platform. Um, And then of course the whole world uh, adopted it. So I think Zoom for us, is completely uh, integral to to how we do business and how we function. Uh, we find we're great value in HubSpot, uh, so that's definitely a good uh, shout out to them. I think they have an extremely good CRM uh, that we are we are expanding on you know, here recently. We, we've been uh, been moving in that direction, so we find that. Um, and also another one that works really well with us is Asana with EverHour integration. Asana is how we manage a lot of our internal tasks. Uh, it is a remote workforce. I think that Asana is something that you should consider if you're a CEO and you're looking at trying to find a way to assign tasks and to also get hourly so that you can make sure that everyone is, is being invoiced properly and being paid so that you have some accountability. Uh, Asana does both. It both manages your tasks and it goes into uh, goes into ever hour integration with hourly. So those are three tools that we use uh, every single day, all day. Nice, nice. So going into to, to the close of every episode, I, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. I like to make whoever I'm interviewing the host of Boston Cage podcast. So the microphone is yours, the show is yours. You have opportunity to ask me any question and interview me of anything that had came up during this particular interview between both of us. Oh, I mean, I, I'm kind of, I'm definitely interested in more of, of your story. I mean, it sounds like you had kind of, I mean, what inspired you? Uh, what's your why? Because there you go. That's, that's the question I always try to get into. And that's the one that gets to the heart of it. What is your why, why you're here? Well, my why is, it's kind of like, um, it's a story that I told many times, but you know, 
back in 2018, I had a stroke and then coming out of that stroke to kind of speed up this story was I kind of had an awakening moment of like, what was I really leaving behind as far as a legacy? And then that's what the dawn of me rebranding myself and becoming an SA grant and becoming a published mm -hmm. author and creating a podcast. Well, that was the real start of that. Fast forward till now. Now I was like, OK, now I have this legacy that I can leave behind with instructions on how I'm doing what I'm doing, but I'm also influencing and helping other entrepreneurs and small business owners on their journey as well. So it's bigger than what I thought it was going to be. And it's bigger than where I was expected it to go in the first place. So the goal would be now how many entrepreneurs and business owners can I reach out to and talk to and communicate with across the world. That's fantastic. And I, I, I definitely feel that. And I like, yeah, you know, what is the thing that is the most interesting about what you do? That's 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 the, knowing that. I, I think I know the answer. So I kind of what what is the thing that you find that you, when you get up every day that you're looking forward to? When I when I look at my calendar and I and I realize that I have like three episodes to record and mm -hmm. they weren't there two days ago and it's somebody that I've never <laughs> met. I have no idea what their background is. And I have like a period of time to do some research, figure out who they are and then have an intellectual conversation and be on task with them and, and, you know, push and pull at the same time. So I think that's, that's probably the most interesting part of my day. When I wake up and I see someone from like, I think yesterday or the day before with somebody in Israel and that podcast was not there when I went to bed the night before, when I woke up that morning and was there and it was like, okay, this person booked the first appointment and I got to figure out who they are in less than an hour. <laughs> well, that is, we have the same answer. <laughs> because that is absolutely what I look forward to every day. Yeah. You know, when I look at my calendar, I'm like, who am I going to talk to today? Am I going to talk to uh, the, one of the leading researchers in the world of stem cells? I did that. Guy that's a friend of the Dalai Lama did that. <laughs> Go back to DHL did that. So yeah, I mean it's 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 great. I, I completely get that. It's uh, the adventure of, of learning of knowing new people. Uh, it's just it, I I think that's fantastic. Great, great. Well, I, I definitely appreciate you you know reaching out your busy schedule today to come on the show. I think you definitely dropped a lot of insight, a lot of nuggets, especially for like our book club members just hearing it because they heard me preached it many different ways. But hearing it from someone that's in that space all day, every day is definitely a breath of fresh air. And I definitely commend you and appreciate that. Yeah, well, I, I really enjoyed it. I think this was a very valuable experience for us. And I'm, I'm very glad to uh, to share our knowledge with your listeners. Perfect, perfect. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762 233 boss that's 762-233-2677 i would love to hear from you remember to become a boss in cage you have to release your inner beast sa grant signing off listeners of boss and cage are invited to download a free copy of our host sa grant's insightful ebook become an uncaged trailblazer Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.